Oh 
It's after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Thursday. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
Ah, I do be so 
in the AM. Simcha Liner with Ana Hashem. You heard Avremo with Amachaya. Nachas had the song entitled Asimcha, Yeshiva Boys, uh, with Ashrei. For the Light, brand new from Ari Goldwag for Hanukkah 5780. And Regesh, Ani opening things up. And we say good morning. Welcome to a, what is today? Thursday on this December 12th, day 14 in the month of Kislev, the the full moon of Kislev over the NSN studios this morning. My gosh, looked absolutely beautiful. And um, and it was. Uh, winds in Northwest, it's, uh, wait one second, what did I say? Yeah, 14th of Kislev, the year 5780, tough shin pay, 29 degrees, 59% humidity, winds in Northwest at 7 miles per hour, mostly sunny, high 37, then tonight, mostly cloudy, low 32. Tomorrow, showers for Erev Shabbos, a high 49 degrees. Yerushalayim right now at 59. We're at 29 in New York City as we say good morning at JM in the AM. Well, I was in touch with the mayor of Jersey City last night, and we were um, in discussion uh, this morning. He'll join us next week, please, God. He'll join. Today is, a, I think, a little too early for, for him. Um, and I have to give credit this is so typical of, uh, and I know that you know some people are are tired of hearing me praise Yeshiva University basketball team, but they are playing Jersey City on Tuesday night, and already Coach Steinmetz has reached out to the mayor of the city of uh, Jersey City, uh, our good friend uh, Stephen Fulop, uh, to have him participate Tuesday night in some type of you know small pregame ceremony. I don't know if it's going to happen because, frankly, I don't think the mayor is going to leave Jersey City knowing him for the next few days, but. Um, that was one of the things we were discussing. But anyway, he said he'll join us uh, next week, please, God, and we'll, uh, we'll have an opportunity to talk about the uh, the episode in the aftermath of the uh, horror in Jersey City this week. As uh, some of the people on our app have already pointed out this morning, the Leviahs for the two members of our greater community took place last night. And uh, the stories that are coming out about those who... <laughs> by by mere seconds survived the attack by either going to Mincha or by being holed up in their car right behind that U-Haul truck. Try to think of what other accounts I read this morning. Or having run out of the store, and there's video evidence of this one, uh, after the, the murderers had come into the store already. It certainly makes you appreciate life. And I don't know if there's such a thing as overthinking this whole thing. I think the more one thinks about it, the more they appreciate the one above and what we have and uh, how lucky we are. Anyway, uh, JM and the AM, as we we start off a Thursday morning broadcast, first of all, we're on the road in December, as you know. We were in Woodmere last week. Uh, We're going to be doing shows upcoming in uh, Brooklyn, Teaneck, and... um, West Orange, New Jersey, were brought to you on the road by Aaron's Casino Farms on Casino Boulevard in Flushing, by Aaron's West Orange on Eagle Rock Avenue in West Orange, New Jersey. So we thank Aaron's for sponsoring our on-the-road programming. By the way, speaking of Jersey City, Dr. Norman Blumenthal is going to be speaking with us. Uh, we contacted our friends from uh, OHEL yesterday, and he'll join us at about 7.10 this morning with comments about raising our children in this 
crazy world, in a world that now, for us here in the U.S., and I know, believe me, that our brothers and sisters in Israel, you know, I'm not saying, God forbid, they're, they're you know, rolling their eyes at us, because, but, but when you think about the number of terror attacks that have been, you know, in their backyard, obviously this is uh, practically nothing in comparison. But for us here in the United States, this is shaking. This is, uh, you know, frightening. And now as we uh, speak about the aftermath of Pittsburgh and Poway and now the Jersey City Kosher supermarket, and we start to understand that there are people specifically targeting our institutions, it's getting very scary. And someone pointed out yesterday that um, I believe it's 14 victims, in addition to those who were injured, of course, I believe it's 14 victims from our greater community in the United States in the last 18 months just from those three episodes. Just from those three episodes. Uh, not even talking about the other th- other things that have been going on. Anyway, um, we'll speak to Dr. Blumenthal, and he'll join us early in the 7 o'clock hour here at JM in the AM today. I want to thank uh, Gedalia Zlotowicz. Uh, a lot of people talking about yesterday's conversation. And it is... Um, it's both an honor and really um, an amazing feeling to have someone like him who is now at the top of the industry, uh, both uh, not just meaning his company, but he is now you know holding this position as president of Arts Girl Masora, and that he gave us the time that he did and really went through everything that is going on at the company, especially in light of the uh, big Hanukkah celebration that they are that they are leading with their <laughs> with their big Hanukkah sale. That's a celebration. And, of course, the CMS Shas that's upcoming. <clears throat> so we'll go through some of the details. We did mention toward the end of yesterday's interview that we've invited Gedalia back uh, for next week uh, under certain circumstances. Those of you who heard, the, who were, I'm not getting into it now, but those of you who heard the conversation know what I mean. <laughs> and we'll see what happens. We'll see if we can make that happen. And... Uh, do some more exciting things. Uh, one of our listeners says, uh, YU Basketball Rocks. My brother played for them 40 years ago. Keep them on, keep them on your fabulous J&M always. Yeah, they are They are a unique bunch. And thank God uh, that bunch stays unique year after year because of their coach. Uh, and, and by the way, because of, their, because of their current coach and because of their former coach as well. Or former coaches, I should say. They all got what it is to lead a team into an atmosphere where most people have never met Jews or most people certainly never interact with uh, with um, members of the observant community. Anyway, you've heard this speech before. That, that I can guarantee you. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention as we... Uh, as oh, Sorry about that. One other thing I wanted to mention as we continue on this... Uh, Where are we here? There we go. As we continue on this uh, Thursday morning broadcast, there are <clears throat> excuse me. There are certain people who get involved in, in great causes and need to be recognized. And uh, many of you know that Stacy Siegel has a an unbelievable Shetel Gamach. I'm not going to go into details right now, but we have discussed it on the air before. An unbelievable Shetel Gamach named for my mother that um has just <laughs> taken off to a degree that I cannot even begin to explain. <laughs> if I tell you who was in our home last night uh, taking advantage, Baruch Hashem of the Gemach, it, it, it just, it, it's hard to fathom. But w- the reason I mention it 
<coughs> I mentioned it right now, is because a Sari's Wigs of Teaneck, New Jersey, has been one of those outfits. Sari herself has been one of those people that has been so helpful in the area of the Shetel Gemach and has really been on the front lines of just keeping Stacy as uh, as stocked as possible with the uh, with Shetels that can be distributed to those in need. And the Sari's Wigs of Teaneck, New Jersey, is having a special Hanukkah sale this uh, this coming not this Sunday. But this coming Erev Hanukkah Sunday, meaning the 22nd of December, from 9 a.m. until 12 noon on Cumberland Avenue in Teaneck, New Jersey. And uh, we're giving a special shout-out because they have been so amazing to us, and um, and we want to see them do well. So, again, it's 634 Cumberland Avenue in Teaneck on Sunday, December 22nd. Here's, now, I don't know much about what I'm about to read, but here's what they told us. There'll be Shaitel's Falls, Keepa Falls, Pony Wigs. Uh, you can follow them on Instagram at Saris Wigs, S A R I S Wigs, S A R I S Wigs, uh, for all their additional Hanukkah deals. Uh, it, it's it's different than a typical sale in the world of Shaitel's because Sari and her staff are very hands on. They'll help you pick out your perfect wig. So keep that in mind, ladies. 634 Cumberland Avenue in Teaneck, Sunday, December 22nd from 9 a.m. until 12 noon. Follow them on Instagram, Saris Wigs, S-A-R-I-S Wigs. And uh, for information about all of this, you can use their phone number at 201-694-5391, 201-694-5391, or obviously just show up to the sale on the 22nd of December. And we give them a very special shout-out. Uh, from all of us here at JM in the AM. 29 degrees, mostly sunny, high of 37. Dr. Norman Blumenthal in the early part of the 7 o'clock hour. Representatives of Israel's Kiryat Shmona community are coming into the studio. And Miriam Pascal, who has a brand new cookbook, will be in studio today, and we will Facebook Live that conversation. It is unbelievable what's going on here at JM in the AM on this Thursday morning. So keep it here for that and much, much more at JM in the AM. I'm 
understand Just feel it in the air See it in the old man's gentle smile We don't have to see him Cause we all know that he's there I'll sing to you a while Hear it in the mountains echo In the oceans roar See it in the rolling clouds above Even though it's all been said Ten thousand times before We know Hashem is the world Hashem we love Oh, yeah, yeah. 
ירושלים של מעלה, עד שיבוא לירושלים של מטור. לא יבוא בירושלים של מעלה, עד שיבוא לירושלים של מטור.
off an album entitled those were today's volume number two it's Jakob Schwecki brand new at JM in the AM that's called the Freed medley great selections by Avram Avram Freed here at JM in the AM uh well the um high court in Israel has determined that Prime Minister Netanyahu can stay Prime Minister for now as this uh, big transition um continues to occur what that transition will actually transition to, we don't know. <laughs> but but this period of time is certainly one of transition, I think one can say. 
Uh, the Knesset missed its deadline to nominate a candidate for prime minister, officially launching a third election in less than a year on Wednesday. Debate in the Knesset continued on a bill that would have the election be held on March 2nd instead of the automatic date of March 10th, which is the Jewish holiday of Purim. The 21-day period in which the Knesset had the mandate to choose someone to form a government came to a close midnight Wednesday. Almost no negotiations took place during the day, with last-ditch efforts to form a government abandoned earlier in the week. But MKs took the time to blame one another for the situation. <laughs> well, I would hope that, that tradition would continue. So March 2nd, 2020, seems to be the date for the next election in Israel. Today is the election in Great Britain. We'll see what happens. We'll see how well the um, <clears throat> the different parties do in the... Um, in the British election happening today, literally as we speak, I mean, the polls are open in Great Britain. And there is uh, great curiosity, no doubt, among the uh, the Jewish community there and really the Jewish community around the world to see what happens in terms of the the parties and who wins what. Um, all right, so that's the story there in the Great Britain. That election is today. The election in Israel now slated for the 2nd of March, 2020, the 2nd of March, 2020. And um, I guess we'll have an opportunity over the next couple of months to watch a a full-blown campaign yet again. Although, who knows? They may wait. They may wait till like the middle of February before really ramping things up as um, everybody in Israel gets closer and closer to the brand-new election. Uh, listener Terry loves the retrospective music, transporting her back in time. Yeah, that's a, that's one of the purposes, I guess, of the Those Were the Days series by Yaakov Shweki. Really good stuff. J.M. and the A.M. at two minutes before 7 o'clock. Uh, mayor of the city of Jersey City, the Honorable Stephen Phillips, going to join us next week. He was in touch with me this morning, and we'll, we'll get him on the air next week. He, of course, was a frequent guest of ours when we were in Jersey City. For many, many years. We were in Jersey City from 1998 till the end of 2016. Wow. Even longer than I thought. I thought 15 years. We were there 18 years. Uh, So he'll join us coming up. Dr. Blumenthal is going to be joining us today. That'll be just a few minutes from now. We'll talk about some of the things that Ohel has done and that he has been involved with since this horror occurred in Jersey City. And... um, He'll also give us uh, some advice of how to deal with the aftermath of all of this with our own families, as only he can. Uh, don't forget, you can support us here at JM and the AM by uh, sponsoring part or all of a JM and the AM broadcast. Go to uh, fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org, <clears throat> be as... Um, be as generous as possible and sponsor part or all of a broadcast of JM and the AM. Uh, in honor of somebody, in memory of somebody, wherever the situation may be. And uh, you can do that easily at fjbunity.org. Don't forget, we're on the road during the month of December. We're going to be hitting places like uh, Brooklyn, Teaneck, West Orange, in addition to what we've already done in Woodmere this month. Uh, on the road in December is brought to you by Aaron's Casino Farms, an amazing kosher supermarket, both in Flushing at 72-15 Casino Boulevard in West Orange, New Jersey at 629 Eagle Rock Avenue. So Aaron's Casino Farms and Aaron's West Orange sponsoring our on-the-road programming uh, during the month of December here at JM&AM and the Nahum Siegel Network. And, of course, we thank them. 
Uh, don't forget that uh, you get 20% off and free shipping with the promo code radio for the brand new Miriam Pascal cookbook. If you go to artscroll.com and use promo code radio, 20% off, free shipping uh, between now and Sunday night. Take advantage, and she'll be visiting JM in the AM a little later on this morning right here on NSN. So keep that in mind as well. Galaitza on the background. We'll do our news from Israel coming up. Oh, yes. Galaitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Thursday follows next. We say Boker Toe from JM in the AM. Galaitzal, Mirushalayim, Asha'a 2. Shalom, Rav Lachem, Kanoam, Aviram, Ima, Shekorea, Akshav. Parashat Naama, Isachar. Beit HaMishpat, Bemoskva, Iskim, Lidchot, Beshavua, את הדיון בעיר אורל מנת לאפשר לה להיות נוכחת באולם. יפה היא שכר, אמרה אמא של נעמה, אמרה לגלי צהל, הנוכחות של נעמה באולם בית המשפט חשובה. אני מבקשת ממך, אדוני ראש הממשלה, יש לכם כמה ימים, יש לכם שבוע, בבקשה, תזכרו את זה, בבקשה, נראה אותה בבית. הם יכולים לסגור את זה. אני יודעת שהם פועלים, אני מודה לראש המלל שהוא באמת על זה, וכשאני שולחת להודעה מיד עונה לי, משפט כל כך חשוב, צריך להתייחס ולהביא את הסירה אליהם לפה. הנוכחות שלה חשובה פה. בחירות 2020, נשיא המדינה ראובן ריבלין התייחס לפני זמן קצר לפיזורה של הכנסת ואמר, אסור שנאבד את האמון בשיטה הדמוקרטית. בתום שתי מערכות בחירות ובפתחה של מערכת בחירות שלישית, אני מאמין כי זוהי שעת מבחן גם של הציבור הישראלי, שהוא בסופו של דבר אשר יכריע מי הם מנהיגיו. הדמוקרטיה הישראלית הייתה ועודנה מקור גאוותנו. ואנו יודעים שלשיטה הדמוקרטית יש גם מחירים. נוכחנו בזאת בעיקר בשנה האחרונה. ואילו בגץ דחה שתי עתירות בדרישה מנתניהו להתפטר מתפקידו כראש הממשלה. מדווח כתבנו לענייני משפט יובל הראל. בגץ קיבל את עמדת היועץ המשפטי לממשלה, לפיה אין סיבה להכריע בנושא בנקודת הזמן הזו. עוד נכתב כי פיזור הכנסת מתאר את הצורך בהחלטה. מוקדם יותר היום הודיע ראש הממשלה נתניהו כי התפטר מתפקידיו כשר לכל המאוחר בתחילת החודש הבא. תושב עזור בשנות השלושים לחייו נפצע קשה במהלך ניסיון שוד. כתבת תחום המשטרה, ליה ספילקין. מבירור ראשוני עולה כי הפצוע נורא בידי שודד שפרץ לביתו ברחוב העלייה השנייה בעיר. החשוד נמלט מהמקום. צוות מגן דוד אדום פינה את הקורבן לבית החולים שיבא תל השומר במצב קשה ולא יציב. המשטרה סורקת אחר היורה וחוקרת את האירוע. הפרקליטות מבקשת מבית המשפט להטיל תשעה עד שמונה עשר חודשי מאסר על אלון חסן. לשעבר יושב ראש ועד העובדים בנמל אשדוד. כתבנו בדרום, רמי שני. פרקליטות מחוז הדרום מבקשת להטיל על יושב ראש ועד העובדים המפוטר של נמל אשדוד, אלון חסן, שהורשע בעבירות של מרמה והפרת אמונים, תשעה עד שמונה עשר חודשי מאסר בפועל, וכן קנס כספי ומאסר על תנאי שגובהם ייקבע בהליך גזירת הדין. כך נמסר היום בדיון בו נשמעו טיעונים לעונש בעקבות הרשעתו. יצוין כי עורכי הדין של חסן מבקשים לקיים דיון נוסף לאחר הכרעתו והרשעתו בבית המשפט העליון. 
ומזג האוויר ירידה והטמפרטורות, ממטרים מקומיים מלווים סופות רעמים וברד בצפון הארץ ובמרכזה. קיים חשש קל לשיטפונות במדבר יהודה וים המלח, ורוחות חזקות וסופות חול נושבות בדרום. אלה החדשות שעורך רועי ולד. We get closer and closer and get set for the holiday of Hanukkah. We are tossing in our uh, Hanukkah selections. That one is Haneris Halalu, of course, uh, done by the great 
Ben Sion Schenker here at JM in the AM. Thursday morning broadcast. Well, we know what happened Tuesday in Jersey City, and it's taken all of us until now to just uh, digest all this uh, that has happened, uh, except, of course, for those who were part of the episode, part of the horror. We can't even imagine what they're going through at this time. Uh, our friends at OHEL, as you can imagine, have taken a leadership role, as they always do, in trying to help the community, particularly those who uh, deal with children, uh, parents, educators, etc., on a regular basis, and children themselves, uh, to respond to this uh, shooting in Jersey City and the tragic murder of two members of our greater Jewish community. Uh, our good friend, Dr. Norman Blumenthal, who serves as Director of Trauma and Crisis Response at OHEL, is with us live via telephone and joins us to discuss some of the things we need to keep in mind in the aftermath of this horrific episode. Dr. Blumenthal, welcome back to JM and the AM. As you indicated, uh, we wish it was under different circumstances, frankly. Absolutely. But it's good to have you on, and I thank you for that. <clears throat> this is not, unfortunately for you, this is not a uh, a, a, a new type of, um, of, of response or system of response uh, that you've put up on the OHEL family website or that you've done now uh, over the last uh, 48 hours in terms of uh, dealing with our community. You've been through these types of situations before. What are the most important things for educators and parents to keep in mind vis-a-vis children in the immediate aftermath of all this? If this happened late Tuesday, what should they be doing, thinking, implementing on Wednesday, yesterday, and today, uh, in terms of dealing with our children? Okay, I think they're basically, I'm going to mention four points. Um, of course, with utmost brevity, and again, with a heavy heart and feelings of condolences to, to those obviously much more immediately affected. Uh, number one, don't hide the facts. Uh, we live in a day and age of uh, information dissemination that if we hide the facts, uh, the children will find out from someone else or in other circumstances. And we always want our children to process uh, such tragic and potentially destabilizing information in the presence of responsible adults, which in the most part is parents and teachers. And the important point also is if we openly share the facts, then we can be very assured that the information they're getting is consistent. Right. Nothing will cause fear in children to skyrocket more if one person tells them one thing, thing another person tells them another thing. So we have to share it. We have to discuss it. We, 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 we cannot insulate. We don't live in a day and age. There was a time when children could be insulated from frightening information. We don't do that anymore. Um, the other very important point is to validate feelings. Uh, that it is not a sign of weakness, nor is it a sign of a lack of amuna. If someone is frightened and someone is terribly saddened by these events, um, we are entitled, and uh, God made us in such a way as to have normal emotions. We're going through this the, this partios of voracious and levels, obviously at their level, uh, experience a full range of emotions, sadness, fear, anger. And so our children know that if this is causing them be frightened, uh, or this is causing them, they think about the families uh, who, that, who have experienced fatalities, that they should be terribly saddened. This is normal, and that adults, too, uh, all of us, are scared and terribly saddened by, by these events. But we have to balance that with a realistic perspective. We, we don't want our children to think that murderers are lurking behind every corner and that every grocery store 
is a dangerous place. We're taking necessary precautions, unfortunately. Thank God we live in a time where the government also protects us. It wasn't so long ago in our history where we lived in governments that not only didn't protect us, but actually assaulted us. Right. Um, we live in a good government, and a government that, and the law enforcement and, and officials are try, doing everything possible to ensure our safety. So we have to balance it that this is still a rare event, um, and that there are precautions in place, and that most people, even outside the Jewish community, are law-abiding good people who would not inflict harm on any other human being. So we have to balance the awareness and, and the fear with uh, a, a realistic perspective in terms of dangers. And one last point, which I think we also have to keep in mind whenever we process this information with children, is that children are very resilient, and children will themselves gravitate towards health and uh, will figure out a way to man- manage this, these scary events. And if they can't, they'll let us know uh, that they can't and will turn to us for assistance. So I don't want parents... I'm worrying that now all of the children are going to have mental breakdowns. Um, our children are, in fact, in my work, part of what makes this tolerable is uh, watching and seeing some of the resilience of children and adults and some of the unity and care that takes place. Dr. Norman Blumenthal is with us talking about the aftermath of Jersey City. All right, let me, let me uh, uh, address each of these with you, if you don't mind. You know, it's funny, Rabbi Riskin was here Monday and described for us how when his grandfather died, he was never told. And he sort of discovered it at the age of 10 because there was shiva going on. (laughs) And and I wonder when you say don't hide the facts, in addition to, you know, information being empowering, and we know that that's a fact, even information for young kids is empowering. uh, But in addition to that, there's a trust factor, right? If you, in the long run, if you think it's a good idea to hide or alter facts to children, especially as you indicated these days, they're going to find out the actual accurate truth, and that could lead to trust issues with parents, right? Correct. If not trust issues as much as the, we're constantly wondering and worrying, but our parents not telling us. Right. Now, the truth is that probably one of our risking was younger. Right, it was more normal. Right? For many of us who were younger, it was a different world. Right. And was this sort of mutual understanding between children and parents that some strange things go on in the adult world, and they're not going to tell us, and we don't want to know. Right. That's not, in the age of technology, that's not present. Children not only find out, but they, they feel entitled to know. Then you, meant, you mentioned validating feelings. Um, in addition to validating the young people's feelings, I, I mean, frankly, I, I can't imagine there isn't anybody, especially in our area, because this happened a couple of miles from here, I can't imagine there isn't anybody as a Jew who isn't, you know, frightened and shaken by all of this because someone walked into a certain establishment to kill Jews, essentially. That's what it comes down to. And we are all, everybody listening right now, is it sometimes in a Jewish establishment or gathering or social event or synagogue, you know, where, where God forbid, everything could be a potential uh, a potential uh, target. So when you say validate feelings, is it a problem letting the kids know that you as an adult feel the same way they do. No, there's nothing wrong with that. But we don't just sort of wallow in our fear. What we do is we take that fear and we try to respond to it with action. Obviously, actions including prayer and beseeching Hashem to to keep us safe, but actions also to ensure our safety. Um, One of my reactions personally is I was thinking uh, when this happened is we're probably not far away from what's going on in Israel where there are going to be security guards in front of merchants in front of stores yeah. and, and metal detectors uh, because, but you know, which is a sad thought, yeah. 
but it's also protecting us further, and that's what we do with fear. We, we, we experience it. It's, it's, it's an unpleasant feeling, and to relieve ourselves, then we take proper action. All right, got it. Uh, then you talk about the rarity of the event. And I remember as a kid, they showed a film in school about how to deal with a fire, and then I was convinced, of course, that you know every, every night my house would burn down because you know you, you see this as a kid, and you and you're you're frightened just by the scene of what they're describing. Um, when you say it's important to describe and uh, convince uh, one's kids how rare these events are, um, is that one of the reasons you would encourage? Uh, parents and educators to take children, for instance, to police stations, and not just for the Hakara Satov, not just for the appreciation, which of course is important, and it's important for us to demonstrate that, but also to reassure them that, you know, the exception is what happened in Jersey City. The rule is that these men and women are ready to protect us at any cost. Oh, absolutely. And again, we have to put it in a realistic perspective. One of the things that happens with, uh, you know, today in the age of technology and where we get so much information and, and right away into our living room and in very graphic ways is for at least children, then it can be distorted how often this has happened and how close to close proximity it is to us. So, yes, we want to give them that balanced picture. There is danger. We're not going to deny it. Right. And there is true hatred and anti-Semitism, and we can't hide that from them. But the, the flip side is that we are, we as a community are taking necessary precautions and that we, again, are very fortunate in this time and day and age to live at a time within, within a government that takes our safety very seriously. And finally, you mentioned resilience. I'm not insulting the kids when I say this, but... The ignorance of children sometimes is a big advantage for them. They're, they're not looking at this episode the way a, a, an adult or someone my age may look at it because of all the life experience we have and calculating all the things that went into this and all the different variables that, you know, get us to this level of fear. They, frankly, have, you know, have had a simpler life, please God, up until this point. And I think that the ignorance is part of the resilience. Am I right? Well, yes and no. That, I think that was true when we were children which I think was sometime around the Civil War. But, um, <laughs> but the uh, children today are very different kind of children. Children today are incredibly well-informed. Let's face it, I mean, not everybody has Internet, but uh, those who do, a child can click a mouse and find out anything and everything they want to find out. So there, there's a, it, children are very different today. They're much more well-informed. Right. And, and this is a very important point and, and something that we all struggle with is they feel they have a right to know. Right. There was a spoken agreement for many generations between parents and children is that we as adults, we're filtering the information and we're deciding what you find out, what you know, what you don't know. That's out the window today. And it's, it's changed parenting and teaching in some very significant ways. Dr. Norman Blumenthal is Director of Trauma and Crisis Response. Now, if you go to olfamily.org, olfamily.org, the links are right there where they can go to your um, uh, to what you've written about all of this. A lot of what you just told us is right there on the site. Uh, what happened in the immediate aftermath? Someone told me that OHEL invited you to participate in a Monday night, uh, in a Tuesday night conversation, and that hundreds of people participated? No, that did not happen. No, no. But I was there was a telephone conference which with a thousand people. Uh, I don't know if it was a thousand or on, but suitable for a thousand people. Where we went, we went over some of these issues. It wasn't a, an, an in-person meeting. No, no, that's uh, what I, I meant. I meant that. I meant a, a oh, teleconference. Sorry. Yes, yes. There was a telephone conference, and um, the, there was, uh, and, and I was in constant phone contact. Uh, we have trained uh, a, a caterer of volunteers in Williamsburg, in trauma. We're in the middle of training them, actually. 
in, in trauma interventions, and many of those individuals were in touch with, with me and with our team uh, throughout the day. Oh. Um, so, and we are, as, as you mentioned, we are available, available not only to, uh, to, uh, to, to check the link, but anybody who has specific questions about their children or specific concerns, or even about themselves, and call OHEL and ask to speak to a member of the trauma team, and they'll be put in touch with one of us. The OL crisis team, in conjunction with local agencies, are available for further questions and clarification. 1-800-603-OHEL, 1-800-603-OHEL, or access at ohelfamily.org, access at ohelfamily.org. You know, we always talk about, you know, we wait for the day when certain organizations and departments are not necessary. Right. Boy, I, I hope your department becomes obsolete pretty quickly. Yes, frankly, I, I, I want to go out of business. Yes, it's 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 insane that uh, that that we as a community. I mean, I, I mentioned earlier this morning just these three major episodes in the last eighteen months in the United States uh, have claimed fourteen lives, and 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 we know we don't have to imagine. We know the ripple effect that it had uh, even outside San Diego, Pittsburgh, and now Jersey City. And uh, we don't want to go through this anymore. We would like to see. Uh, we would like to see peaceful coexistence and uh, and the ability for law enforcement to really protect us to the nth degree. So we love what you're doing, and it's important, but uh, we hope this is the last time we have to have this conversation. Amen. And I thank you for joining us this morning. Okay, my pleasure. All right. Dr. Norman Blumenthal, ohelfamily.org. He is the Director of Trauma and Crisis Response. Plenty of information on the site, and as we said, uh, anybody in any position, whether you're a parent, educator, administrator, etc., cetera, uh, who now, especially as we hit the 48-hour mark later today, is dealing with the aftermath of this episode, 1-800-603-OHEL, 1-800-603-OHEL, or access at olfamily.org, access at olfamily.org. More coming up. It's JM in the AM.
מבקש, תגיד הנעלי, תגיד הנעלי, איפה הם רואים? עז החי, מנריכי מבקש, תגיד הנעלי, תגיד הנעלי, איפה הם רואים? עז החי, מנריכי מבקש, עז החי, מנריכי מבקש, עז החי, מנריכי מבקש, תגיד הנעלי, איפה הם
Esachai, done by uh, Mordechai and David. Before that, his uh, Eitz Chaim He. Thursday morning, or by Goldwasser has the morning off. Morning Chizuk will return Sunday with Matis and Monday with me here at JM in the AM. It's a Thursday on this December 12th, the 14th of Kislev. Good morning. Don't forget Miriam Pascal's brand new cookbook is available at artscroll.com. She'll be visiting us later on. You get 20% off and free shipping if you use the promo code radio, but that's just till Sunday. So take advantage and do it now. 20% off and free shipping on Miriam Pascal's brand new cookbook. If you use the promo code radio, but again, that's only till Sunday, so do it now. Artscroll.com, artscroll.com, promo code radio. Uh, we're brought to you on the road all December by Aaron's Casino Farms of Casino Boulevard and Flushing in Aaron's West Orange, Eagle Rock Avenue in West Orange, New Jersey. We're on the road all of December with shows upcoming in Brooklyn and Teaneck and, uh, and uh, West Orange, New Jersey. Um, our thanks to Aaron's Casino Farms, Casino Boulevard in Flushing, and Aaron's West Orange on Eagle Rock Avenue in West Orange, New Jersey. If you want amazing and incredible uh, um, supermarket, an, an amazing and incredible supermarket experience, go to either one of those great stores. You'll be glad you did. More coming up. You're listening to JM in the AM.
Goldwag, uh, thanks to the listener Devora who reminded us that Yonatan Razel has a great uh, Katonti selection. Same as that one. We just can't find it this moment. Uh, perfect for this week's Parsha. We appreciate that. Feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN, Nahum Single Network app for Android and iPhone and comment away. Well, both 
Uh, Michal Natan and uh, Daniel Zaks are in our studio. I told you we're going to have guests from Kiryat Shmona all the way up north in Israel speaking with us at JM&AM today, and they are here. Before we start our conversation, I do want to note for this uh, audience, especially those of you who've been longtime listeners, uh, that Daniel Zaks has a distinction in that he is a uh, grandson of a Helen and Richie Starshevsky, lucky guy, and, and that means, and that means that uh, listener Moshe and listener Aliza and their families, uh, no doubt, are tuned in this morning. And of course, they have a long time association with JM in the AM. Michal Natan, Shalom, welcome to JM in the AM. Boker Tov, and Shalom. Da- and Daniel Zach, Shalom, and welcome to JM in the AM. Good morning, thank you. How are all the relatives doing? Everyone doing well? Everyone's good. <laughs> Your grandfather was the uh, was the lead musician at my bar mitzvah. Accordion? On accordion. So imagine, <laughs> imagine, you're, you're, you are related to uh, a, a living legend, to say the least. Uh, all right. Why? You know, it's funny, and I'll, I'll start with Michal, who is the uh, resource development director for the uh, Kiryat Shmona Hezri Yeshiva and for the program <clears throat> called Bitzur. You know, as a kid, Kiryat Shmona to me and people my age meant one thing. You know what it meant? No. It meant the Friday night attack in Kiryat Shmona Malot that was, uh, what, 40 years ago about? Was it about 40 years ago? Yeah. And that was an attack that took place in the Ulpana, if I'm not mistaken, in one of the Shivot, right? There was a Shabbaton in one of the Shivot in that area. And it was a terrible, horrific episode. And for years, that was our reference, young kids, that was our reference to the area of Kiryat Shmona and Ma'alot. Yes. Today, thank God, people think a lot of very different, wonderful things when they think of the neighborhood of Kiryat Shmona, right? Right, or absolutely. The city, or the absolutely. city, I should say, of Kiryat Shmona. Yeah. Let's do the geography first. How far is Kiryat Shmona from the northern border of Israel? 600 meters. That's it? That's it. In, in uh, Kavaviri, like, you know, in air. Yeah. Yeah. But if, well, let's say three kilometers if you need to Right, if you're, if you're going drive. on the road. Yes. And, and, and again, you know who you're speaking to. This is mostly an American audience, so you have to put this in perspective right. for us. Okay. How many hours would it take to drive from Yerushalayim to Kiryat Shmona? Two and a half hours. Two and a half hours. And, that, yes. and then you're on the northern border the of Israel. Very northern border of Israel. And, and in the era that I was referring to, let's say the 1970s, how many people were living in Kiryat Shmona and how many people are living in Kiryat Shmona today? So today there are 25,000 people in Kiryat Shmona. Wow. And, uh, Back then was a few thousand only? Uh, yes. That be, I, would, I would say about... Ten to fifteen thousand. And what is the attraction? What you know, for for us as Americans, it's hard to understand this. You know, we're gravitating toward Yerushalayim, Tel Aviv, and Beersheba. Why would somebody want to be up in Kiryat Shmona, that far away from the center of Israel? First of all, it's part of the most beautiful places in Israel. Wow. The the view and the you know you are very relaxed there. It's a good atmosphere from, from, from the viewpoint of view. Right. But our neighbors around there are not so great. <laughs> right. And sometimes they bother us. It's a challenge. It's a challenge. But the people there are really with lots of Mesirut Nefesh. And they want to live there. They love the place. They want to develop the place. And actually, uh, as I am presenting the Yeshivat Esder of right. Kiryat so many of our alumni, after they get married, they build their houses in Kiryat Shmona and stay there Till today. Till well, to- one, one second. We have a perfect example here. Right. How did Daniel Zaks, who, by the way, folks, is wearing a Detroit Lions cap, if I'm not mistaken, how did Daniel <laughs> Zaks get to be a resident of Kiryat Shmona? 
Um, in 12th grade, I went to check out a few yeshivas, and Kirat Shmona was the one that I most connected to. And you were living where at the time? I was living in Modin. Wow. And you went all the way up there to see what's going on? All the way up. Uh, in 12th grade, you go check out a few different places. Right. And what I really loved about Kirat Shmona Yeshiva is, is Rav Jory's, um philosophy about bringing, Jory, yeah. about bringing the Torah down to, to our everyday lives. And that was something that I really connected to. Then once I stayed there, I went through the army, through the navy, got engaged, and my wife was very happy to come up and study in Tel Chai. Where is your wife from? Originally London and also Modin. Also Modin. And and what do you mean, you army and navy? What did you just say? You went to army and navy? I went to the navy oh, and the, the navy. army. Say it again? The Navy is part of the Army. Oh, they, like I, I understood. So as part of the mil- mil- the armed forces, part your, the, your responsibility was in the Navy. Yes. And that was of, for how long? That was for almost two years as part of uh, the Hesder program. Right. And, uh, yeah. So you could be in Hesder and do, quote-unquote, regular Army service, if there is such a thing, but also go to the Navy and other parts of the Israeli armed forces. Sure. Interesting. And uh, and now you're living up there in Kiryat Shmona. Yes. So now you're not just a, an Avreich. You're not just somebody who's studying in the yeshiva. You're somebody who's a... You know, a balabayit up in, in Kirat Shmona, and, and you don't regret it for a moment, it seems. No, we really love it up there, the air, the atmosphere, the people. Interesting. And you don't find yourself far away from anything. I mean, you know, if my parents are listening and my in-laws are listening. <laughs> it's a little too far, huh? It's, yeah. it's a little far, but it's not so bad anymore because they, they always are, you know, renovating the roads and everything. And right. when I came six years ago, it would take three hours to drive, and now it could take two hours right. to Modin, so it's okay. Yeah, and by the way, here in the U.S., someone drives two hours to work every day. This so is I what know, I wanted I, yeah, to say. I don't know why they make such a big deal about this, but that's our nature. You know, to make a big deal. What do they say? It, it, uh, it is real two hours is a long drive, and in America, 200 years is a long time, right? <laughs> the, the opposite is not true. Um, I didn't think when we we were told that somebody from Kiryat Shmona was accompanying Michal here this morning that it would be a, an Anglo. Now, I know you were, you are likely born in Israel, right? Nope. Oh, you were born in the U.S.? I was born in Detroit, Michigan. It, oh, that's the heads of the Detroit Lions. Hat. I don't think I don't think there's many out of Detroit Lions fans. <laughs> do, you, do you actually tune into the games once in a while? I watch every single week, and I'm going on Sunday. So you must have loved Thanksgiving Day. It wasn't great. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so now that we got that out of the way, uh, but I never thought an English speaker would be here. Are there other... Uh, Anglo's are there other Americans and English speakers in Kiryat Shmona? There's there's a bunch of uh, kids from Beit Shemesh and, and Modin and uh, I, I would say twenty percent of our much? students are from American families mm-hmm. originally. How do American. you know English so well? Well, I we have been twice on Shlichut uh, with my family. In what cities? In San Francisco wow. from ninety one to ninety four, nice. and also from ninety eight to two thousand in Chicago. Talk and about self sacrifice. That's Mesirud <laughs> Nefesh. What it was. Very special, and really, we, we recommend it to every. It's not sad for you to be three years out of Israel. That's not a. It, you don't feel you're missing something. Yes, we do, but we understand what's the mission, and we know that we are coming back. Right. So, uh, and that was amazing. And you know, San Francisco is totally different right. than any other place in the from, world from the <laughs> Jewish point of view. Right, that's for sure. And it was really doing working with lots of Keruv, lots of uh, uh, students that came from the um, Russian right. Russia. Uh, Rabbi Lipner, he was the head of the school. Today he's in Israel. He's uh, they made Aliyah and they did an amazing work there with, you know, Keruv for those Hebrew that knew Nothing about Judaism besides the fact that they are Jews. When you were in Chicago, did you ever visit Detroit or you never made it up yes. there? Oh, you yes, did? Yes, we did. So you're yes. somewhat familiar with that community. Yes, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're back in Kiryat Shmona. No, I live in Yerushalayim. Oh, you live in Yerushalayim. And I work with Kiryat Shmona, but my connection to the yeshiva is that my husband was at the first year, 42 years ago, when the yeshiva started. Wow. 
And my son, one of my sons, was there also 10 years ago. So you uh, know what the commute is like from Yerushalayim we, we, to Kiryashmona. Yes. Not a, not that big a deal, right? No. Why is Nachum Siegel making such a big deal no, about no, this? No, no, no. It's, it's here. It's in the head. <laughs> That's for sure. How many students in the Kiryashmona Yeshiva? So today we have 250 students. All and, of whom are going to the army at some point. Yeah, including them, right. yes. And it's usually this is the number we keep through the years. This is... It's good. We think this is the right number. We don't want to grow up too much and, of course, not to be less. Right. And and, uh, and it's amazing. The, the Bechurim are great and the rabbis are great. And, and as Daniel said, lots of uh, other things, that using the Torah uh, principles in the everyday life and doing lots of uh, social and uh, educational welfare projects in the city of Kiryat Shmona and surrounding area. And there are few projects that really, every time that I speak about it, I, I get excited, uh, you know. Hey, if you were excited about Shlichud in Chicago, you're <laughs> going to be excited about Kiryat Shmona. How important is the yeshiva, and, and some people may not even realize there is an importance, so I want you to describe it, to the security of the city and area of Kiryat Shmona? This, the, the importance is... Uh, Amazing. Uh, not it's amazing. a big Tremendous. benefit to Israel it's that you're big, on the northern yeah, border. Yeah. The, the army and the, the city, like the mayor office and sure. all the security people there, they count on our students as first responders wow. in an emergency. And, and by the way, we should remind everybody, because we when we first heard about you a few months ago, I actually said to everybody here, to my staff, that you know we should do a show in Kiryat Shmona because you guys were under attack. You guys were under attack this past summer, right? Am I right? A few months ago. If you first of all, we are all the time here and there. We get some, uh, you know, drishat shalom from yeah. our. It's not as quiet <laughs> as people think it is. Uh, no, and also there is the tension that something right. will happen. And just a few weeks ago, we had it was closer to the Golan. Right. A few, uh, four missiles, and Baruch Hashem, nothing happened. But. Also, the you know Bibi Netanyahu and also the officers in the army, they say that the big uh, challenge from security point of view in uh, now is the northern border, right. not even the southern border. Right. We pay a lot of attention, including us, by the way. We, we brought guns of Stay Road and, and you know, that area. We pay a lot of attention to it. We forget sometimes what's no, going on. No, but up this north. is the big challenge. And actually, I met with the. A officer of Kiryat Shmona, like the the officer is from security right. officer, and he said that uh, he is missing what was in 2006 in the Second Lebanon War because we know what the Hezbollah has today and what right. the missiles they have and that it's going to be Chas Khalila but a, a lot worse. And uh, you asked about the importance of the yeshiva, so we have 60 boys that uh, are after the army, Shiur Daled and Hay, that. Uh, that uh, the army, the Home Front Command, trained them. Right. So, Chas Khalila in emergency time, they are the first to go into the city and to help and to go from shelter to shelter to help the people. And this is, by the way, what we did in the Second Lebanon War. Uh, many of the people left Kiryat Shmona to the center of the country. Half the country yeah, went south. Nahon, yeah. And the who stayed, the old people and the sick people right. and the Bechurei Yeshiva. Right. Even they didn't need to stay because it's not their home, but right. it was obvious that they are staying. And they went from shelter to shelter, gave medicine, food, they did entertainments. While you were hosting people in Yerushalayim. Nahon. Absolutely. And I'm not joking about that because my brother also hosted people in your slime who they never knew, but they just desperately people needed a place to stay as they were escaping the north. Michal Natan is here, Hezder Yeshiva in uh, Kiryat Shmona, and uh, she's joined by Daniel Zaks, one of the students there who is now a Balabayat in the city of uh, Kiryat Shmona. Now, 
Why are you here? You are here because you want people to visit the yeshiva. You are here because you want people to know. But why are you here, Michal Natan? Okay, so we are here because we want to connect people to the amazing things that the yeshiva is doing in the city of Kiryat Shmona and the surrounding area. And of course, if you will be connected to what we do, so you would like to be partner with us. Because sure. the, we do many, many important things. We get some funds from the government. We get some funds, you know, from the tuition that the parents pay. Right. But we still need to fund third of our budget. And we really, uh, it's important for us not just to get the money. We want to connect the people to what we do. We want them to be excited about what we do. Litragesh, uh, you say excited, yeah, emotional, right? Yeah. Emotional. And there, uh, if you will give us the, the option to talk about a few of our projects, so I think you will Well, the one I read about is this Bitsur, where you're all over the city, it seems, right. trying to spread the word of Torah and connect with people who may not have a Torah environment. Right. So if you mentioned Bitsur, I will say that, and I, I think we, we said it at the beginning, that more than 200 families from the our alumni stayed in right. for to strengthen the place and of course there is a quality community it's important to say that the relationship between us and the local people from you know from the 50s is very special we learn from them a lot and we try to give them a lot and it's like a give and take situation and especially with the secular kibbutzim and moshavim on the border there are Many kibbutzim and moshavim there. And as you know, many years, and also in other places in Israel, is um, uh, there is gap between yeah. Datiim, Elchinulim, and, uh, you know, and the relationship in, in Kiryat Shmona and the, in the surrounding area is very, very special. We offer them for more than 25 years to uh, prepare their boys for Bar Mitzvah. Mm. And it's amazing to see they want it. They, some of them are very, you know, far away from Judaism, but it's important for them to, to, to celebrate the Bar Mitzvah in a traditional way. So their boys come three months before their Bar Mitzvah, twice a week to the yeshiva. They learn one-on-one with one of our students, and we teach them uh, how to put on filling basic, you know, things yeah. in Judaism and Likroba Torah. And then on the day... That they have their mitzvah, they come to the yeshiva, they make aliyah la Torah, we make a nice party, and the bachurim are dancing. This is not unusual for cities in Israel. Many times the yeshiva is the capital of the city, and everyone it, gravitates to it, and you send out, as you said, the boys and families to, to help people, <coughs> excuse me, with ritual and, and spreading the word about yahadut, etc. I mean, this is not yes. unusual at all. We yeah. could, you just want to make sure you could do this as much as possible and keep going. Right, and it's today we have more than 1,250 boys right. that did it. And I want to quote, with your permission, uh, from a mother of her, three of her sons did it. Right. And she was born in Kibbutz Kfar Giladi. So she is mamash, the hardcore of, of the Kibbutz, uh, you know, uh, philosophy. And she says, you are a fountain of healing and the remedy of people who have been used their entire life to being afraid against and resentful toward religion. We have the eff- you have the effect of a re- true healer and not just of a bandaid. Yeah. We have gone some through we we have gone through such an amazing internal process, and now I want to buy a mezuzah for our home. <laughs> for us, our connection to tradition is linked with our connection to Zionism and the history of our kibbutz. That's and wonderful. I think it's amazing. <laughs> um, the um, you mentioned how many 
secular kibbutzim, moshavim, are in that area. Right. And many of us might find it, you know, hard to believe that people who may not have the same ideals when it comes to, you know, Eretz Yisrael, Hashlema, etc., would be there. But nonetheless, there are thousands and thousands of people in that area, right? Yes, but the, I would say Kiryat Shmona, from the political point of view, it's a consensus. It's not, you know, everybody ah, believes. It's right. not like Yudav Shomron that right. some people think right. kacha and some right. people think kacha. So, but you are no, right. No one's advocating giving away Kiryat Shmona. Right. But on the other hand, what you mentioned now is that there is a big cap, a big gap in our political, you know, thoughts right. from the people, the Hebrew from the kibbutzim and from us but what this lady that i just quoted said Mm -hmm. she said that even we have such gap in political views we are such good friends and there is such a deep friendship and if we need them for a reason and they ask we are and she calls it healing which means you're closing that gap which is wonderful it's america's one and only jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored digital radio around the world the web and alchemsegal.com and the alchemsegal network and of course in the beloved NSN app. Does Daniel Zaks listen to this show in Kiryat Shmona? Do you too? I have listened to You're it. being serious? Woo! We got listeners in Kiryat Shmona. I love it. <laughs> By the way, speaking of family, Nahum, you have to give a shout out to the wonderful community in Michigan, which made Daniel the person he is today. Somebody just wrote that on our app. Oh, thank you. I'll be I in wonder- Michigan. I'm flying there today. <laughs> I wonder who it is. And also speaking of family, I have a cousin in Chatzor. How far is that from where you guys are? 20 minutes. And meaning east towards Syria? It's a little toward- south, actually. No, no. Toward, it's toward, south. toward Chispin? No, no, no. To the south. Oh, directly it's, south. It's close to, to Rosh Pina. Also. Oh, so, so they're not nearly as north. We always think they're far. They're no, not, no. They're it's... nothing compared to you guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, information. How do people, you know, what we normally do, you know, I don't know if you know this or not, Micha, but let me tell you. There are two weeks now where a lot of people travel to Israel. One of them is coming up, although it's a little less this year because Hanukkah is the last week of December, so it's a little bit less. People don't like to go away for Hanukkah. They like to be home with family. But there are people going away the last week of the year. And then in January, there's a major exodus, I'm sure you know this, of uh, people that leave in the middle of January for yeshiva break and come back to the United States toward the end of January. During those two weeks would be a great time for people to leave their Yerushalayim hotel and go to Kiryat Shmona. Absolutely. I'm being serious now because I don't know the answer. Is this something you facilitate? Can yes, you... so there is actually a brochure <laughs> here yeah, I got that, it. I, yeah, that we offer, you know, Duke, those people who come to visit Israel to come for one day to the north right. and we'll host them at the yeshiva. We'll, of course, show them around. By the way, we, we the yeshiva is located on the top of Kiryat Shmona and we have a huge balcony that you can see. <laughs> you can see Le- Lebanon? Lebanon. You can see Syria and... <laughs> You can understand the fragile of, yeah. of the location where we are. And then we offer to take them to an army base right. and then to let them uh, volunteer. Uh, volunteer in one of our programs. They can and meet lo- local kibbutz members. EDU. And I think this is something very special that usually tourists don't get to do. Right. And we really invite people to come and they can contact me. So if I give that contact information, they could leave Yerushalayim early in the morning and you'll get them back to Yerushalayim at the in end the of the evening, day. In the evening and they will have one of their best days in life. All right. <laughs> Michal Natan invites you to meet the students to visit the yeshiva and have a delicious lunch in their dining hall, to meet the local kibbutz members, to visit an army base, to volunteer in one of the social welfare programs, to stand on the on the top of the yeshiva and see this incredible view that you just described, Har Hermon, the Golan Heights, Lebanon, etc., etc., Hula Valley, etc., etc. And uh, here's what you do. You can call 
Oh, and, and most people listening who travel to Israel can figure out how to use this phone number. Mm-hmm. You call 052-566-5461. Obviously, if you're calling the number from the United States, you know what numbers to add and to drop. But it's 052-566-5461. It might be easier to just email Michal, and that would be michal.natan.1959 at gmail.com. Michal, M-I-C-H-A-L. Dot Natan, N-A-T-A-N, dot 1959 at gmail.com. And frankly, if you leave today and you get some people to spend a day with you during this last week of December or the middle week in January, it would be a wonderful, wonderful thing. Because people, I can tell you all the places people go to. All of you, Don Shamron, Hebron, Netanya, Tel Aviv. A lot of people have these one-day trips everywhere. If so we can, if very we can, welcome. If we can make a one-day trip to Kiryat Shmona successful, that'd be amazing. That's, that would be great, and we'll be very happy to... And by the way, Daniel Zaks could be there to speak to them in right, English. Right, right. You'd, you'd <laughs> greet them in English and uh, give, give them a little tour over there and uh, and let them know exactly what's happening up there in Kiryat Shmona. And what is the... How traditionally does this work? When one finishes high school, there'll be a year in yeshiva or a year and a half, and then enter the army? How does it go? Gen- generally, um, after high school, you go to the yeshiva for a year and a half, and then you draft into the army, everyone together. Um, everyone that has a combat profile usually would go in together. Um, my year went into Golani. Um, the next year went into Givati. Every year is a rotation. And then you come back to yeshiva for two more years. It's a five-year program in the end. Um, some people stay in the army for longer, try to do commanders or officers or things like that. So, uh, are you in the system of, um, how do you say Miluim in English? Reserve. Reserve. Are you in the system of reserve uh, I, service? I specifically am not because I was in the Navy and they don't really have reserves. Wow. Interesting. Unfortunately. But, um, You'd prefer if you were. I would love to. Wow. <laughs> See, the Americans listening right now can't, can't relate to this. <laughs> yeah. But this this, this the, 23-year-old guy would prefer yeah, but to this be is, in Miluim. This is the chinuch they get right. in the yeshiva. And most of the chevre, you know, they, they're going to combat units and they... Do after Miluim, right. I mean, it's... You know, I've told this story before. You might appreciate this as an ole. Uh, when my sister moved to Israel, so when she met her husband in Israel and had had children in Israel, um, so <laughs> it was time for my nephew's first field trip. You know what a field trip is from school, right? So she's assuming that it's going to be, you know, a trip to a museum or, you know, one of the other things that people do here in the U.S., right? She, she didn't realize it was like a 30-kilometer hike. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what a field trip means in Israel for first graders. So <laughs> it's, a very, it's a very different world, to say the least. Anyway, um, Michal, unless there's something else you want to add, I'm going to encourage our listeners to get in touch with you. And please visit, because really that's that's what it's all about. People, if they do want to support the cause, I assume there's a way to do that online, right? Is there a website? Or? Yes, there is a website, kiryatshmona.com. Simple as that? Yes, simple as that. And that supports and the then yeshiva? You, and then you go to, uh, you know, there is a globe, so right. it's uh, in, in English, and then you, they tell you how, if you want to, to support. So, so they can support the yeshiva there at kiryatshmona.com? Yes. Okay. So and kir- Oh, yes. Dot, dot org? Dot org, dot org, sorry. Dot org. So Shmona. And we also have now a new Facebook, uh, so maybe Daniel will tell Daniel, you how. Daniel, can you tell us about the Facebook page? Yeah, there's a new Facebook page with our, our updates. We have kind of some of our brochures up there, updates about our visits to our soldiers, packaging our, our goodies to our soldiers, packaging for the needy families in Shmona. Nice. Yeah. Can people donate through that? Is there a link anywhere on that Facebook page? There will be. Okay, and that, and that simply search on Facebook here at Shmona? Kiryat Shmona Yeshiva. Kiryat Shmona Yeshiva on Facebook, kiryatshmona.org. 
if people want to donate through the website, and if anybody wants to visit, which we think is the most effective way to become a partner, you get in touch with Michal Natan. You spend two amazing hours traveling. By the way, just the trip must be an amazing thing. Right. I'm serious. The the views of Israel right and left must be incredible. Uh, You get to spend an amazing uh, couple hours uh, on the bus up to Kiryat Shmona. You spend this day in Kiryat Shmona, and you become uh, a partner with what they're doing in Kiryat Shmona. Michal Natan's phone number is 052-566-5461. Her email is michal.natan.1959 at gmail.com you wanted to say yeah i wanted to say one more thing we came out now with a project for bar and bat mitzvah boys and girls nice that we offer them to you know as part of their bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah celebration right. if they want to be involved in its daca program a uh, project so we offer them to do one of these three uh, uh, projects one is every month we send packages to our chayalim to mm-hmm. our soldiers that are now in the army so we invite them to come to the yeshiva to pack with us the packages. And then if we go to visit our chayalim and their babies, they will join us. Right. If not, we'll go and give the chavilot, uh, the packages to the soldiers that are on the northern border. Nice. This is one option. Another option is this uh, bar mitzvah program with the secular kibbutzim. So we ask for the boy, the bar mitzvah boy here to twin with a bar mitzvah boy in the kibbutz, and then they, when they come to Israel, they will meet, will make something, you know, a nice meeting, and they get to know each other and maybe study together, and that's another uh, project. And the last one is that we, for years already, we have a gmach that we pack every month 160 food uh, packages for wow. needy, needy families. and All we, in the area of Kiryat All in the area of Kiryat and we invite the bar mitzvah boy and his family to help us to pack the packages and then we deliver it. And uh, about this project, the Gmach, I would like to say that usually we gave to 160 families. Unfortunately, because we don't have enough uh, money for that, so we needed to cut on 20 families and we would love to you know, get expand back. that again. Yes, again. And of course, for the young ladies, you would do a bat mitzvah program of, as well. Same yeah, thing. Yeah, the, the, right. there's two projects. Mitzvah. Yes, except the, the bar mitzvah boy in the kibbutz. Right. I think it's less matim, but right. and uh, of course, when you come to us, it will be a part of a whole day uh, to you, like we offer Correct. to other people. Well, I thank you both, and I and I encourage this audience spread the word. Go to Kiryat Shmona, spend the day. You'll be there forever, quote unquote, or at least in your heart, you'll be there forever, helping them out. Uh, 052-566-5461 for Michal Natan or michal.natan.1959 at gmail.com. I thank you very much for being thank here today. Thank you for the opportunity. A pleasure. And, uh, Daniel, I wish you the best. Please send our best to uh, to um, uh, all of your relatives, all your aunts and uncles and grandparents, and uh, maybe we can get Matt Stafford to come to Kiryat one day. That would be nice. Wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah. <laughs> Toss the football around up north in Israel. More coming up. It is a Thursday morning broadcast at JM in the AM.
Friday morning, JM in the AM. That is uh, Shlomo Katz. My thanks to all of our guests, our guests from Kiryat Shmona who were just here, and I hope everyone does take advantage if you're heading to Israel at some point in December or January. I hope you do take advantage and uh, uh, call uh, Michal and uh, get a day tour to Kiryat Shmona going. It's a great idea. A lot of benefits, as she described. Uh, I want to thank our friends at uh, Aaron's Casino Farms and Aaron's West Orange. They are sponsoring our December on the road. We still have shows remaining on the road in uh, Brooklyn and Teaneck and West Orange coming up uh, between now and the end of the month. And I thank Aaron's in uh, uh, in uh, in Flushing, New York at the 72-15 Casino Boulevard and Aaron's in West Orange at 629 Eagle Rock Avenue. A, a big thank you as they sponsor our on-the-road programming during the month of December. And I remind you, as we're about to introduce, and we're not going to start the Facebook video yet, but in a minute we will, uh, we're about to introduce Miriam Pascal, into, who's in our studio. I remind you that if you head to artscroll.com, between now and Sunday night, exclusively for JM&AM and Nahum Siegel Network listeners, 20% off and free shipping on the brand-new book, If you use promo code radio, again, use promo code radio, and you've got 20% off and free shipping on the brand new book by Miriam Pascal. Not bad, huh? By the way, uh, Listener Cena and Mr. Listener Cena have checked in from Florida. A big happy birthday shout out to Arya Lave Gifter of Staten Island celebrating birthday number two. We're so excited to see you in a few weeks. Can't wait to give you your birthday schmush in person, she says. Continuing the celebration, best wishes for a very happy birthday to Arya Leib's Tati, the number one son-in-law by Yaakov Gifter, the one who made us a Shverinsh figure. It's all your fault. And Yaakov, is wonderful having you in Shoshana with us to celebrate this week. We hope you have a great birthday. Wish you a fabulous year ahead filled with good health, simcha, and abundant nachas. With much love from Bubby and Zadie, Florida. And we call them, of course, Listener Cena and Mr. Listener Cena down in Florida. And we are set to do our Facebook Live video. Go to Facebook.com slash Nahum Siegel Network. Go to Facebook.com slash Nahum Siegel Network, and uh, you'll be able to uh, view our face-to-face conversation with the legend, Miriam Pascal, who's out with a brand new book called More Real-Life Kosher Cooking. And it's rare that I read a full um, uh, bio or description on the air, but in this case, I'm going to. It's quite impressive. Miriam Pascal is the founder of of OvertimeCook.com, one of the world's leading destinations for kosher recipes with hundreds of thousands of monthly visitors. A self-taught cook and baker, Miriam shares her passion for recipes, food, and photography on her website, as well as in her popular food column in Mishbucha Magazine's Family Table. Her dessert cookbook, Something Sweet, enhanced her reputation as the go-to source for easy-to-prepare delicious kosher recipes. Its success was followed by her best-selling real-life kosher cooking, which sold out of its first printing in only 10 days. Miriam has garnered a large and loyal following of home cooks who appreciate her expertise and experience in creating simple, family-friendly recipes that fit the lifestyles of busy people who want to serve nutritious and delicious meals. Miriam's work has been featured by numerous national magazines and other media, including us at JM and the AM. The book is called More Real Life Kosher Cooking approachable recipes for memorable dishes miriam pascal welcome to jm in the am hi thank you so much for having me it is nice to have you here and we should note by the way as gedalia's lotowitz noted yesterday that uh and as i just mentioned during the intro 
Uh, you are not only an expert uh, cook and uh, and baker, but also a noted photographer. And all the pictures, if what he told us yesterday was accurate, in this book, including the delicious-looking covers, all those photographs were taken by you. That is true. I ha- took all my own pictures. How did that develop? Because I was told one of the most important parts of a cookbook is the photography. How did it develop that instead of going out to, I guess, somebody with an unbelievable photographic reputation that you were able to get to the point that you were able to do this yourself? Um, So when I started writing recipes, I started just with my blog, OverTimeCook.com. It was really just a hobby, and I'm kind of an all-or-nothing person, so when I do something, I like to do it right. (laughs) Yeah. So I said, if I'm going to do this, I have to learn how to take pictures really nicely. So I and did. you studied and, the art of photography. Um, I self-taught. Wow. I read a lot. I spoke to everybody I ever met who was a photographer. Um, if you look at, if you go to my website and look at the earliest posts back in 2011, you'll see that I did not start out doing very nice pictures. <laughs> my pictures are terrible. <laughs> I, I'm sometimes tempted to um, take them down from the website, but I'm actually proud of how far I've come. So, you know, when you see those really bad pictures, if you want to learn. A skill or something, it can kind of motivate you to say, hey, I can get better. And we were told yesterday, or more accurately, we were reminded yesterday that you are you actually do photography for other people's cookbooks. One of the people that frequents the chair you're in right now is Naomi Nachman, yes, our I, very own Aussie Gourmet, and, and you've done photography for her cookbooks. That is correct. I did um, Naomi's two cookbooks, yeah. Perfect for Pesach and Perfect Flavors. I photographed those. And he photographed my three cookbooks, so that brings me up to five cookbooks. We mentioned this yesterday, and I wonder if you could describe it. Um, I mean, the pictures are, would you say, are everything? The pictures are 90% of it? The pictures are what when it comes to trying to sell what you're baking and cooking for this cookbook? That's a very good question. Um, I don't know if I can say a percentage, but definitely people are so visual nowadays, and, you know, in the early days of art school cookbooks, Susie Fishbein was like a pioneer. She was the earliest art school cookbook author. Um, she started having, not for every recipe, but she started having photos. And that really changed the game for kosher cookbooks right. because people suddenly were like, hey, we can see what the food should look like. <laughs> that was a novelty. There was a time, and, and kids may find this hard to believe, when kosher cookbooks were text only. Exactly. And that was it. And, and we don't mean texting. We mean words, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, but so the, the interesting thing is that as as people got more used to that, it kind of became a requirement. And now right. it's hard to imagine that anyone could sell a cookbook without a lot of photos. Miriam Pascal is here, which means there are tens of thousands of people that are excited right now. Because they're aware, because the, you have tens of thousands of followers, um, right? Yes. And they're I, aware of the fact that you're here this morning, I would I, assume. I just posted a selfie in this chair. Very nice. It, it looks cool with the headphones yes. and the mic. <laughs> you, look, you look great. With the headphones, that's true. How long does this take? And I'm holding this up to the camera, facebook.com slash Nahum Single Network. How long does this take? You sit down with preparatory notes of what this more real-life kosher cooking cookbook will hopefully become. And then finally, the final product is out. How much longer? How much after that? So my last cookbook, um, Real Life Kosher Cooking, came out in November 2017. Um, As you mentioned before, it was... (laughs) Very, very crazy and unbelievable that it happened. It sold out of the first printing in 10 days. Yeah, that must have been amazing. And that. Yeah, that was crazy. And that really like spurred me on. I was like, I have to do it again. Was that Hanukkah related? Was it very close um, to the holiday? It was Hanukkah, Black Friday. It was uh, on sale on, on Amazon. Yeah. And there was a lot of hype. Baruch Hashem, people right. were loving it. Um, but more than the fact that it sold out is what happens when the book comes out. It's the most amazing and gratifying feeling. 
is the sales are nice. Obviously, I sure. won't lie. I want everybody to buy the book. But the gratifying thing is that every time I open my phone, um, between Facebook, Instagram, emails, texts, WhatsApps, every my phone is blowing up with people telling me either photos of food they made or telling me their Shabbos menu with like everything from the cookbook. And it's so gratifying because the work that goes in is intense. I can't. Yeah. It's hard to explain to anyone who hasn't been involved in writing a cookbook. I always tell people who are thinking of writing one, I say, however much work you think it is, multiply it by like 100 and you're not there yet. <laughs> so it's so much work. And I like basically gave up two years of my life to do this. Wow. And um, it, it's really well worth it now because it's like, oh, people love it. Right. And like there's like that moment when it comes out and you're like, will people love it? And then when they do, it's like, it's amazing. And it's that's what spurred me on. And I was like, I got to do it again. I'm going to ask so you I to started, raise that microphone, Miriam. Oh, sure. I started almost immediately working on my... Um, on my next cookbook, which became more real life kosher cooking. And people sometimes say that the second book in a series is not as good as the first. So my goal from the very beginning of writing this was that it should be better than the first. And some people also say you need a little bit of a break between the two. It sounds like you didn't have much of a break between the two. Yeah, it, it, was, a little, <laughs> it was a little intense. Um, people say it's kind of like having a baby. You need, you know, you need your postpartum right. time. And I, I didn't, I didn't have much of a break. I went kind of straight from one into the other. Do you plan on breaking and now? For, yes. Uh, yes. I promised myself before it came out because I know myself by now that I would get tempted. So I promised myself I will not think about it for some time. You know, we've been touting and Miriam Pascal is here. We're talking about the brand new cookbook. And by the way, I have to mention, if you're an Ahum Siegel listener, don't forget, you can go between now and Sunday to the website and save 20% and get free shipping if you use the promo code radio. Use the promo code radio at artscroll.com. It's called More Real Life Kosher Cooking. And Miriam Pascal's in our studio. I, I've been joking, but in, in a way, and you'll see this once the, uh, the, once the morning ends for you, um, uh, in a way, it's true. I said, you're here and sitting with me. Uh, I am somebody who loves to eat food later this morning you're going to be speaking to mary Wallach. she loves to cook food so but there's somebody else in this whole system you need to be aware of and that is why you you're probably wondering why are all these post-its in the copy in the copy of the book that nahum siegel is holding why there's so many little post-its here and the answer is that stacy siegel herself was given an assignment last night okay uh, especially with the uh, concept in mind that's been bandied about here a few times which is that if you uh, have a brand new cookbook and get three four really good recipes out of it that you add to your repertoire, then it was a really worthwhile investment. I think it's important, by the way, to tell people they don't have to fall in love with 20, 25 recipes. They fall in love with three or four they incorporate. It's a, it's a big victory. Right. right? They've added to their Shabbos, Yontav, and regular meals. Uh, so I said to Stacey Siegel, do me a favor. And because usually when it's someone like yourself comes into the studio, I'll flip through things and tell you about some of the things I really enjoy uh, and some of the dishes I love. I said, do me a favor, take a couple of post-its and, you know, mark some of the things. <laughs> well, wow. you, you think she overdid it? You, th- you think this is a little a little overboard, Miriam? How many would you estimate there? <laughs> There's at least 25 here in my wow. opinion. Uh, but let me tell you something. That's of- an honor. <laughs> I'll let her know that, but she's made my she's made my morning a little bit more difficult. The first thing, and it's funny that she wrote that she um, uh, marked this one because it's one of the ones that caught my eye: the wontons and garlic sauce. Now, any good sauce with a good wonton is an amazing combination. Would you agree? Um, absolutely. I'm I'm glad you picked that one to oh, mention good. first because that is a Pascal family favorite. Nice. Um, pretty much every antif I have to make that as the appetizer for. I always host like one big meal for my whole family. And if that's not the appetizer, everybody gets upset. They're like, why do we come? (laughs) 
And there's something about, and I hate, to, I hate to sound too much like someone who loves food, but hey, after all, that's what this is all about. There is something about the way that dough on a wonton comes out, plus the combination with any really good sauce, and this one looks great. Absolutely. That just made, and that's why your family and, and so many others yeah. love it. Then she, uh, then she uh, marked the apricot lime glazed chicken wings. I think this was a tip of the hat to me. My favorite food, as people know, if I had to have a go-to dinner every night, is chicken wings. I just love chicken wings in all the different Excellent. varieties. All different things. You probably have even more than just this one chicken wing recipe in your repertoire, I would guess. There are pl- probably plenty um, of them. Yeah, this in point. this book, there's just the one. But, yeah, oh, saying, I, in I, this book, there's the know, latest one. Right? By the way, I have I have in the in the recipe and a variation. Have you ever tried anything in an air fryer? I have, but I was never impressed. What are you okay. suggesting? Chicken wings will convert you to an air fryer lover. I promise you they will taste like they're deep fried. Interesting. Try that. And I put the instructions in the recipe for an air fryer option because that's how much I love chicken wings in the air fryer. And you claim that if you uh, leave it in there for 12 minutes and then flip them for another 12 minutes, that's all it will and take. And then six more minutes at a higher temperature. Oh, and then cook them at six minutes, right? A yeah, little bit so of a higher it's, it's a little more involved than baking it in the oven, but they will taste deep fried. The crispiest chicken wings you'll ever eat. Interesting. All right. And believe me, <laughs> as I always say, I'm an expert at chicken wings. I'm going to have to try that. Uh, you have notes. On these recipes, which I assume are tips that people should keep in mind as they make them, right? Yes. And you also have a section called Plan Ahead. Uh, and this is so brilliant, in my opinion. Thank because you. Because today, if there's one thing that scares the male and female chefs in our community, it's that they have a lack of time. People just don't exactly. have enough prep time on a typical night when they're making dinner for their family. And even on a short Friday, when it's the only time Absolutely. they have to prepare. It's very, so you have a Plan Ahead section. Hey, guys, in this recipe... This item and or these items can be done in advance, even a day or two in advance. What would be a perfect example of that, of something that could be done a day or two in advance and just left in the fridge until you need it at the last minute to prepare it? Okay, so let's go back to those wontons. Sure. Um, you can actually make those, freeze them, either raw, which is preferable, and then you can boil them fresh, or you can even boil them, freeze them. You want to do it between layers of parchment paper so that they don't stick together. Right. And then you can make the sauce, stick it in the fridge for a week. And then let's say, uh, going back to Yentif, which is when I always serve those, Yentif morning, I leave a flame on over Yentif. I heat up the sauce. I add the wontons, heat them up in the sauce. Delicious. And you would say it has zero effect on the taste. It's a, it, it, you, you could get away with saying it almost tastes fresh. Almost, yeah. I mean, I, it's hard to say that freezing has zero right, effect, right. but absolutely delicious. I a- saw, every single one will be eaten. Right. <laughs> I saw one in one of your falafel recipes. Where you suggested that the actual falafel pieces, I think it is, or falafel, I don't remember the exact one. Also, people, or and a hummus recipe, I think as well, you literally could put this in your fridge for two days and forget about it. Absolutely. And then bring it out and start preparing. And I'll tell you how this came about, the, yeah. the plan ahead. Um, Someone very, was panicking? <laughs> well, I'm very lucky that I have um, a lot of followers. And I'm, I have, I feel like it's a close relationship. I talk to them all the time on various social networking sites. Um, I, I'm hearing from them constantly. So I've learned a lot. I've, I'm doing this for over, eight, for about eight and a half years now. And I've learned so much from the questions that people ask. So early on, I started to realize that every time I posted a recipe, the first question was, can I freeze this? Can I make this ahead? How can I make this for Shabbos? And so I said, why wait for everybody to ask? I can put it right into the recipe Phenomenal. and not, not even make them ask. And by the way, I might add, as I remind everybody to go out and get the book, I might add that for some people who say, you know what, I, I, I have plenty of recipes. I don't need to add more, et cetera. This plan ahead section in each recipe is a very, it, yeah. in and of itself is valuable for this cookbook. Yeah. I, so I heard from someone I love that she said that she feels annoyed at every other cookbook now when it doesn't have a plan ahead because right. it's like, 
Wait, I'm, I'm used to that. Did you include those in your first book as well? <laughs> All three of my cookbooks. Ah. And I do that also. Recipes I write in Mishpacha magazine, I do that. And recipes on my blog, I do that. Very That's smart. Very why smart. I wait for people to ask. Very I know they smart. will. <laughs> Miriam Pascal is here. The brand new book is called More Real Life Kosher Cooking. Approachable recipes for memorable dishes. If you go to uh, artscroll.com, 20% off and free shipping if you use the promo code radio. And we're taking full advantage of the fact that Miriam is here visiting us this morning. A pull-apart appetizer pie. Do you know why I think Stacy Siegel went ahead and marked this one? Because of the way it looks. Exactly. It, it, it is delicious, I'm sure. And she loves preparing. For Thanksgiving, she prepared the most amazing appetizer platter. Uh, but I think the way this looks yeah. has a tremendous attraction. Exactly. It's it. That's the kind of thing I love about in recipes is like something you're familiar with, but just enough of a twist to make it new and exciting. So. Right. Uh, how would you describe this, by the way? Uh, what is this on? It's sitting on... It's, it's a bunch of appetizers. Um, they're, 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 you kind of bake like... Sitting on a cutting board? Would that be a... Well, this is a cutting board. Right. The version in the book is actually... The, uh, that's a variation, which is another thing I include a lot of in the book. Um, the original one is just to bake it in a pan. So the idea is that you have hot dogs and blankets, potato knishes, deli rolls. They kind of bake together and make a really beautiful presentation. Very cool. Uh, crispy onion strings. Tell me about these. <laughs> okay. So if I'm in a restaurant and they have homemade onion rings on the menu, I'm not oh talking about the ones from the freezer that I know they stick what in you the mean. fire. Trust me, I know what you mean. <laughs> um, and there are a I will order place, those There are a couple time. of places we can talk about that have yeah. unbelievable onion rings. Absolutely. So I'll order them every time. And my friend who I mentioned in the intro, when we go out together, it's like... No question, we're going to order those. So that's my nod to the to the restaurant version that I made myself. Um, all right. So if you want a great, uh, what do we call it? Onion fries? Onion fries recipe? I what call do we call it? Onion? Crispy onion strings. Onion strings. Well, rather. I did it instead onion of onion rings because it's right. easier, and I'm always about making things as easy as possible. Got that. All right. She also designated the eggplant and Japanese yam salad. Oh, that's a great one. I, I've never heard of that combination until I saw your book, frankly. Well, I you know. That recipe came about when I just was looking through the fridge for something to make. I found eggplants. I found <laughs> Japanese yams. I was like, well, that's all right. let's, see. That's a, that's let's a, see if it goes together. That's and a, it did. That's a legal procedure. <laughs> just look what's in the fridge and combine them. So, sometimes the best recipes happen that way. <laughs> Heavy autumn vegetable soup. I think this was, again, something that she did for me. She knows that I love thick vegetable soup. And this one, based on your picture, I mean, this is the yeah, epitome of thickness. It is comfort food in a bowl. Yeah, and and it looks like a chili. It look, I mean, that's how thick it is. Yeah, it's like it's almost a, yeah, it's somewhere between a soup and a stew. It's excellent. Very good, and you have a, a whole bunch of great soups here, including the portobello lentil soup. Yeah, very which filling. looks also the same thing. It has that look? Yeah, as if it's a very uh, hearty, very filling. Exactly, and as usual. Uh, usually we get past the halfway mark of these conversations. I'm still sitting on the soups and appetizers, <laughs> and the desserts and the and the main dishes are getting jealous that we haven't. Even uh, yeah, I want I want to hear what you what you, what she chose in the, there. <laughs> well, look at this one. She designated these spinach chicken burgers. And again, a combination I've never thought of. Now, are you literally preparing the uh, the the raw meat with spinach, you know, together? And that's and you yeah. Just- so. It's so it's awesome. I don't know if you can if you even notice in the picture, but that's not a bun. That's um, two portobello mushrooms. Holy so this cow. is a super healthy recipe, actually. There's um, it's ground chicken, which is healthier than ground meat. Um, spinach, which is super healthy. Mushrooms, lettuce, tomato. It's like the satisfaction of biting into a big juicy burger. But can you pick up a portobello mushroom uh, bun? And 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 it'll have the sturdiness of a regular um, one. I mean, it's it's a little messier, probably. So fork and it, knife but, may help. No, I, I I've eaten it as you a sandwich. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. I'll tell you. Yeah. Any excuse, get something healthy in the uh, <laughs> yeah into the recipe. The red wine and shallot glazed corned beef. Now look. You know, those of us who love to eat have had a lot of corned beef in our lives. Yeah. And different variations of it. What makes this one so unique? Well, I don't like. 
I know in the in the from world a lot of people are very into their meats having very sweet sauces. Correct. I don't love that, and my family's not so into that. So this is sweet, but not overly sweet. There's the nice tang from the balsamic vinegar, and it's just it's more balanced, and I love that. Very cool. One pot cheesy spinach pasta. How can you go wrong with this one? It's impossible. <laughs> <laughs> and it's super easy also yeah what well, is it like four steps and that's the end of it that's all yeah, you, have you you don't even boil the noodles separately you you make a cream spinach mixture you add some milk and you add the pasta and the pasta cooks right there in the milk it's all one pot super easy have you heard from a lot of people that really had nothing to do with kitchen activity until they got until they got in my, contact with your cookbook my favorite comment ever i think was someone told me that I increased her shell and bias because her husband thinks she became a better cook. And really, she's just been making all my recipes. Isn't and, that awesome? And, and it is awesome. And what's funny is that um, there are young people out there who are, who are fearful that they're not going to have enough of a you know cooking repertoire, let's put it that way. And then they you know get a hold of a book like this, and, and they build their confidence, and they expand. There are people who are cooks and not bakers. And then they'll pick up something like this, and all of a sudden they they can't believe they're actually, and and cooking and baking are very different, very right? different, yeah. And you're doing both, obviously. Since I the love beginning. both. What what cooking is and baking, it's like art and science. Like baking is very scientific, and if you're not very very skilled in baking, I always say don't play around with the recipes. With cooking, totally play around. Right. You know, try it the right way, and then add your own touches. Baking, you have to really follow the recipe because it's much more scientific. So a lot more versatility on the cooking side. Yeah, I, probably. Right. That's, or, that's or, or innovation, or whatever you want to call it. Right, you, know? you can definitely have more, like, Impromptu. more freedom, and right. yeah. All right, interesting. Yeah, um, caramelized onion and cheese manicotti. Now, uh, it, you know, any good lasagna manicotti, etc. You know, we. Uh, uh, we <laughs> one of the things we love the most about it is the cheese, but caramelized onion. That's yes, for, for that a lot of people. Like that's a and, yeah. That's a that's a different twist to it. Absolutely. That's what I like. I said I love to do that. Take a recipe you're familiar with, add a twist to make it exciting. <laughs> glazed potatoes. This is your take on. Uh, there are probably a million glazed potatoes out there, but this is your. This take is on this it. is what I make on because, like I mentioned, I keep the burner on, and I can make. I like to make things fresh, so I, I'm always looking for stovetop side dishes because roasted potatoes are not good the next day so i don't want to do them arviantif so i'm always looking for ideas for something i can do on the stove top and, and this is my new my favorite and before we mention a couple of the desserts how does one decide what goes on the cover of a cookbook i mean you have a, <laughs> i'm being serious now those who know me know i'm really i'm being serious about this you have a whole chicken on the cover of your cookbook i i could imagine that if we had a committee of cookbook people here, if we had 20 people here, 10 would say that's a good idea, and 10 might say a whole chicken on the cover of a cookbook. What's your, what, what were you thinking on this one? Um, so, <laughs> it's funny <laughs> you ask about this because there's, I mean, in general, I'm the kind of person who overthinks things, but um, there's nowhere that I overthink more than co- the cookbook cover. It right. is the Including most, the back cover? Um, the back cover, not as much because we don't, I don't take a photo special. It's usually a collage of pictures, mm-hmm. but taking a photo special for the cover. Um, I think Rabbi Zlato, it's um, Gedalia's father, Al um, Shalom, he used to say, I think it was him who used to say that um, people say don't b- judge a book by its cover, but they never tried selling them. Correct. And absolutely, <laughs> um, you know, people, and Rabbi Gedalia's Lotto, it also says that the, the cover is your kind of audition for people to open the book. Right. They walk into a store and, are they going to open it? It depends if the cover intrigues them. So I put so much thought and so lose so much sleep over with the that cover. In mind, with that in mind, it's funny that a whole chicken, potatoes, avocado, and salad, which 
are some of the most basic items in the Jewish kosher menu, right, in the household mm-hmm. menu. It's funny that those are the ones that ended up on the front cover. So I'll tell you a few things. Firstly, there was a lot of thought into kind of portraying a balanced meal. So I wanted a protein, a starch, and a vegetable. Good. I didn't want it to be, seem too healthy because... Obviously, this is uh, balances everything to me, sure. um, but I also didn't want it to seem too unhealthy. So it was. I was thinking, you know, how can I sort of portray that? And I mean, this is a balanced meal, right? You have chicken, potatoes, <laughs> get, salad. Get this. It's it's very balanced, <laughs> and so it was. And obviously, you want to think about color. You want to think about how things look. Um, in terms of proteins, it was hard because a lot of chickens that taste really good don't necessarily look really good some of the ones that look really good like for example i have a delicious lemon chicken popper recipe and they're mm-hmm. you know little fried nuggets of chicken which is great but again i'm trying to portray balance and that's like a hanukkah special thing not an everyday thing oh it sounds like um, you want you want it to be easily identifiable yeah people will realize absolutely. that that's a chicken recipe so right. and and also there is definitely a nostalgia factor because um growing up shabbos dinner friday night dinner every single week um, I hope my mother, my mother and father hear this because they're going to be laughing. <laughs> Every single week without fail was a whole roasted chicken. There was never any straying from that ever. Tradition so is a, tradition. Yeah, huh? exactly. So that's definitely a nostalgia factor also. And this kind of, the, the image I, I hope that I portray with the cover is of um, like a homey dinner right. being prepared. Like I have kind of sort of in the process and that's really what I yeah. want to show people. It looks very warm. It looks very warm, which is exactly which that's, is what you that's want. exactly what I was going for. All right, uh, we'll do this quickly. And I remind everybody, Miriam Pascal is here. The cookbook's called "More Real Life Kosher Cooking." Uh, we're on Facebook.com/slash Nachum Siegel Network, and uh, we're going to do the desserts uh, that you'll find in the cookbook. This is what uh, Stacy Siegel designated as the ones, and, and this is what usually happens. Uh, she and others. Uh, we'll sit with the, my daughters, etc. We'll sit with the cookbook and decide. Hey, we got to try this. Got to try this. So here are the four or five that made the, that made the finals. Okay, <laughs> peanut butter tiramisu. Ooh, that's possibly my favorite dessert in the book. Is it as good as it looks? Yes. I mean, this is outrageous. If have you if you've never tried peanut butter and coffee together, it may sound crazy, but it works so well. And this dessert, it's it's amazing. All right. Then the next one, again, I think she had me in mind after 30 years married when she chose this one, caramel apple cookie pie. Oh, yeah. Three <laughs> of my favorite things, caramel, apple pie, and cookies all together in this recipe. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that, that's that's excellent. I mean, what is it? It's like a really good crunchy apple pie? Um, no. So it's, it's more towards the cookie side than the apple pie. There's actual apple in it. There's caramel in it. Um, and it's kind of like a cross between a cookie and a and pie. And you use a caramel sauce on top also, right? Yes, yes. Good job there, uh, Miriam. Let me <laughs> tell you, that's a good one. Uh, what else does she have here? She has the uh, maple walnut frap. Uh, oh. And the drinks in general, even in the span of time that you've been putting out cookbooks, the drinks have become a really important part of dessert presentations, right? Um, yes. Yeah, so I actually, starting from my first cookbook, I included drink recipes. Nice. Um, for me, it's just because I love drinks. I love to, I mean, I have some cocktail recipes in there. Right. I love when people come to my house, I'm always going to offer you a cocktail. So to me, it's just natural. I have to put drink recipes in. And then she included in your cookie section, the peanut butter crinkle cookies. Uh, <laughs> I, I see a theme. <laughs> I cannot believe that she knows me for 30 years and did not put in the jumbo chocolate sea salt cookies because <laughs> those speak to me, boy. I mean, those <laughs> yeah, look they're... amazing. Candied pecan biscotti. We're a big biscotti family. And okay, that looks like a great she, one. I hope she makes those soon. Yeah, hopefully is right. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> and, and the butterscotch swirl bun cake. What is the 
what is the base of that cake? That is a the butterscotch. Yeah. You mean? There's butterscotch chips. Right. Um, this cake is actually I created this recipe years ago. Um, this this recipe has a claim to fame. I was <laughs> commuting by bus and I fell asleep on the bus and I had a dream about a cake and I. I woke up, I got home, I made the cake, and this was the cake. I've made tweaks over the years. Your dream has come true. (laughs) And trust me, it's dream-worthy. By the way, um, uh, obviously you men I shouldn't say obviously, I don't know if everyone does this, you do mention... Uh, when a uh, in each recipe, if it's a, a meat dish, parv, it can be done right. parv or dairy. There's some you have that can be done yeah, parv or dairy, absolutely. right? And you indicate what to leave in or out right. uh, when that happens. And we mentioned the notes, of course, and of course the plan ahead section. If I'm not mistaken, the plan ahead section is on every recipe, Every right? recipe. Every recipe book. has a plan Even ahead. if it tells you you can't make it ahead, that's still part of planning ahead. Because if you're making, let's say, a Shabbos meal and you know this has to be made last minute, you plan that into your preparations. And your baked salami rice reminded me that you can have salami with anything. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and it could be a great, great side dish. Miriam Pascal, everybody. More real-life kosher cooking. Approachable recipes for memorable dishes. This is out how many days? How many days has this been in? About, about a week and a half. Is there an indication of anything yet? Or it's hard to tell um, if people I, are knocking the doors I've in. heard from the salespeople at our school that the stores are reordering, which is a good sign Baruch in a short Hashem. time. And so, you know Hanukkah is approaching, obviously. Yes, it is a great gift. And there are going to be some cooks, male and female, and families who are going to expect this gift. They're like already saying, well, I know what my relatives are going to be getting me <laughs> yeah, this year. Drop, time to drop some hints, right? <laughs> I don't know if it's necessary. <laughs> Once the ad showed up, I don't even know if it's necessary. All right, before we wrap up, i got to take a look at the uh, app and... Uh, and um, and Facebook comments, which I will. I do. And by the way, how does this feel? How does this feel? Let me pull this out. How does this feel when you open up your newspaper, right? You open up and you see this. You open up a newspaper and you see your name with your cookbooks there and they're on sale. I, I think it's worth writing a book just yeah. for this. Just to <laughs> open up surreal. a newspaper and see that. Isn't that cool? You know, you know who, who finds it cooler than me, though? My mother. <laughs> <laughs> she really likes she, it. Huh? She would frame that if she could. <laughs> she thinks it's even cooler than you think it is. Um, all right, this listener says, I get that pictures add a lot to a cookbook. But what if some cookbook authors feel they need to write long stories with their recipes? Actually, you're not guilty of that, based on what I saw here. Um, no, but I, I do think that a little bit of story helps connect the reader to either understand why I made it, why you would make it. Um, I, I mean, I think there's a balance. I've seen cookbooks without any stories, and I don't think... I, I, I kind of feel that there's something missing, but I, I guess everybody has different priorities in a book, right? Interesting, yeah, and they're looking for different things. Uh, at this point, though, they know what to expect from yours, so it's not like it's, you know, I mean, at right. this point, they know exactly what to expect. Uh, can Miriam, meaning you, speak to what is the best cooking ware and pots and appliances to turn out the best product? Is there anything that you've <laughs> designated to be something special, or you use everything, basically? Um so I'm going to actually say the opposite. Instead of what's the best, I'm going to say what I don't like. I'm not into sets. I I got one set um, when I first set up my kitchen, and I don't love it. I feel that there's pieces I don't use, and I am so much I so much prefer to buy individual pieces based on need. Interesting. So, some people go for the look, though, that it's a set and yeah. the way and the way it's uh, you know. Well, you, you can buy you, matching pieces, but individually right. rather than. Just buy a set and hope that you'll find use for each one. Very cool. Uh, listener Frida says, love your cookbooks. Got my three autographed copies. Ooh. Boy, oh boy. I can't let you leave before autographing it. That's for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. And I want to thank those who have been watching on Facebook. And uh, and uh, no doubt the tens of thousands of Miriam's fans that are going to be checking out this interview at some point later on. And I thank you very, very much for being here this thank morning. Thank you so much for And I do me. want to mention one more time. 
I am. You're speaking now with somebody who's an expert at eating kosher food. Uh, today at ten thirty will be the show you're doing with Miriam Al Wallach because she's an expert at cooking kosher food. In fact, we'll, we, we'll see what her take is. You'll see. I'll tell you. She's uh, she's amazing, and she has this uh, unbelievable. I always tell her to write a cookbook and to get involved in the professional world of cooking. But I don't know. I guess she likes network radio a lot better. A lot better. What can I tell you, uh, Miriam Pascal? If you go to the website artsworld.com, you get twenty percent off. And free shipping if you use the promo code radio between now and Sunday. And I thank you very much for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for checking out the video, everybody, at facebook.com slash Nahum Siegel Network. That'll be available forever. And, of course, check out the archive section of NahumSiegel.com to hear this conversation in its entirety. More coming up. It's JM in the AM.
at the Waterbury Yeshiva, Thursday morning broadcast. Well, it's official. The election in Israel is March 2nd. Tomorrow morning, Malcolm Holmline will join us. He's executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He'll join us tomorrow morning for the weekly update at 7.40 Eastern Time. Make sure to be tuned in. We'll talk about the Israeli election and much, much more. We'll also talk about the British election, which is taking place as we speak. And uh, who knows what direction that's going in. We'll know more, I guess, by tomorrow or actually later tonight as the polls will close in Great Britain just a few hours from now. And news will start to uh, disseminate from that area of the world. Thursday morning broadcast, my thanks to uh, Dr. Blumenthal for joining us earlier regarding what happened in Jersey City and the aftermath of it. Uh, We spoke yesterday and this morning with the mayor of Jersey City, our good friend, uh, the Honorable Stephen Fulop. He'll join us next week here at JM in the AM. And, um, of course, our thoughts and prayers with the families who are suffering in the aftermath of that horrific episode. And the collective Jewish heart globally continues to ache um, with this uh, most recent attack on our people and members of our worldwide community. Uh, JMNAM Thursday, my thanks to Miriam Pascal for joining us uh, on the heels of Gedalia's influence, uh, interview rather yesterday. And uh, don't forget, you can uh, get the brand new cookbook at 20% off and free shipping. If you use the promo code radio, go to artscroll.com, order a bunch of them so you have them as Hanukkah gifts for your family and friends. It's 20% off and free shipping if you use the promo code radio. Uh, between now and Sunday, the advantage of using our promo code, there's no minimum, no anything. With all the big sales and everything, you need a minimum for the free shipping. For us, you don't need any of that. Just put in the promo code radio and you got it. We're on the road all of December, courtesy of Aaron's Casino Farms on Casino Boulevard in Flushing and Aaron's West Orange on Eagle Rock Avenue in West Orange. We thank them for that. And uh, as we said, tomorrow morning, a Friday morning edition with the weekly update and much, much more. Um, Miriam Pascal will be Miriam Alwalek's guest at 1030. Jew in the City speaks with Allison at 10, 930 for Spin Class with Michael Fragan. And coming up next, Charlie Harari with Unlocking Greatness. Achenu Israel and Achimachem are brothers and sisters in Israel. We are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Round the world on the web at NachumSingle.com and the NachumSingle Network. And, of course, on the beloved NSN app. And that wraps up an amazing Thursday here at JM in the AM. Plenty more coming up all day long. We'll live lunch starting at 11 a.m. from this studio. And, of course, tomorrow, uh, JM in the AM Friday between 6 and 9. Don't forget tonight, the Arab Shabbos show hosted by Mark Zamek and brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Mark Zamek and the Arab Shabbos show for this week, specifically for this week's Parsha, at 7 o'clock tonight and encored at 3 a.m. and 10 a.m. tomorrow. All Eastern time, all here on NSN. Have a fabulous Thursday. Till tomorrow, Nachum Sigal reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.